I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Fee here with another re-release. We are going back to our episode all about stewarding. In this episode, we sat down with our special guest, Kirsty van der Zeele, a steward from Racing Victoria, and she took us through all the basics and all the important information in being a steward a really interesting chat this one so make sure you check it out field is ready they're racing in the oaks hello and welcome back to another episode of ladies who punch we are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time my name is Fiona Blair, and with me today, as always, is Grace Ramage. Hello, Grace. Hello, Fee, and hello to all of our listeners. Yep, back for another episode of Ladies Who Punt, and super excited about this episode because we've got a really exciting topic that we are going to decode, and a very special guest, and we'll get to that shortly. But, oh my goodness, Fee, this weekend of racing each and every year is just insane. Yes, it's also AFL Grand Final Day on Saturday, <laughs> which most people will be focusing on. But on Saturday, we've got a big race day at Mornington, which sort of takes, I suppose, the back seat to Group 1 Racing Friday night at the Valley under lights. And then we've got Underwood Stakes Day, Group 1, Wait for Age, Cox Plate sort of um, qualifier race on Sunday, plus a whole heap of other stakes races. Like, it's absolutely madness how much amazing racing is on this weekend and I must say in a lot of the races the stakes races both Friday night and also Sunday we've got some mouth-watering clashes like we've got the best of the best taking each other on and we're not even really in you know Caulfield Cup or Cox Plate or Melbourne Cup Carnival yet so it's super exciting I actually cannot wait yeah it is it seems like this year there's just some real battles going on you know more so than other years I think in other years, maybe we've had, you know, top horses that we've been wanting to see prove themselves. But this spring really seems to be made up of horses who could be on quite equal par meeting in certain races, not even their grand final, but lead up races. So it's, it is so exciting. Yeah. And, and some, some years it's just like that, where the wait for age ranks are really even and you get different results and you get really good contests. And that's what makes racing great in my opinion. And we've got one of those on Sunday, even though we're not particularly talking about it on this episode, um, it's going to be a great race day and the Underwood Stakes, everybody should tune in because it's going to be fantastic. Yep, definitely. But today we are talking about the Moya Stakes because we do have our ladies who punt race day meet up on Friday night. If you have yet to decide whether you're coming, you can, of course, still attend. Just look out for us on the deck at Mooney Valley on Friday night with the pink hats and come and say hello. But for now, let's introduce this week's topic that we are decoding. It is a topic that's sort of shrouded in mystery a little bit, so it's a perfect one for us to bring in a guest to explain to us. It is stewarding. So we have Kirsty van der Zeele coming in and speaking to us today about her job as a steward in the integrity department at Racing Victoria, and we had a fascinating chat with her, didn't we, Grace? It was so interesting. I mean, you're right. Stewards, they are literally running the show they are making sure that everything goes to plan that everyone's playing by the rules that everything is going like clockwork literally but you never really see them or hear about them they're sort of just like the silent achievers so uh so interesting to hear what Kirsty has to say about literally her her job on a daily and weekly basis and also what I think is super cool fee is that we sort of uncovered one of the many women within the racing industry that are absolutely kicking goals in their job or in their department within the industry. Um, but we don't really know that they are there doing that. You know, there's Gay Waterhouse. We've spoken to Natalie Young. Like there are lots of females that are up in lights and they're doing extremely well. But there are also so many that 
we don't really hear from. So it's so great to be able to like put them up in the spotlight and find out a little bit more about their role within the industry. Definitely. So we will get into that interview with Kirsty now and following the interview, we will preview the Moya Stakes Group 1 this Friday at the Valley. Hello and welcome to Kirsty Vanderzeel. Thank you so much, Kirsty, for being our extra special guest on this topic of stewarding. Uh, firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about exactly what your role is at Racing Victoria? Uh, thanks, Grace and Steve, for having me. I um I work in the integrity department as a deputy stipendary steward. So the shortest explanation or the quickest explanation for what I do is uh, that we're the racing police. So we enforce the rules of racing. Um, and I think today we're going a little bit more into what, what that entails. So, Kirsty, how did you get involved with the integrity department as a steward at Racing Victoria? What is your background? So I don't actually come from a racing background. Um, and initially I hadn't really planned on getting into the racing industry um, after I finished my equine science degree, I um, was probably more interested in training and retraining horses with behavioural problems. Um, I'm a little bit uh, passionate about that sort of stuff. But I spent a bit of time doing stud work. I did some yearling and weanling prep where I absolutely fell in love with weanlings. I mean, if I could spend every day with weanlings, I happily would. I worked in the covering barn and I helped with falling down. And I just was looking for something a bit more challenging and was getting a bit over the long, cold, wet, wintry days um, and nights sometimes. And so from there, I went into a bit more of an administrative role at Racing Australia. So firstly, I started working in their trainer and racing services centre, um, speaking to all the trainers and riders, agents and doing nominations and acceptances and stuff. And then I started managing their help desk. So I was problem solving with their data and database issues that they had and liaising with all these different people around the industry. And um, I was angling to get back into something that was a bit more hands-on. Um, I wasn't as interested in the administrative side of things. And I kind of just found myself in a role as a cadet steward. I probably didn't know quite the extent of, of what the job entailed when I started, but it's been a really interesting career progression from there. Tell us a little bit more about, I've not, I've not heard of Cadet Stewards. So is it a sort of apprenticeship? Is it a, a, a program you do to gain the skills to become a steward? How does the cadetship work? You kind of work your way up. So everyone starts as a cadet and that can be from a really diverse range of backgrounds. So we've got ex-jockeys and ex-racing staff, um, people, people that are, you know, children of trainers, and they all start at that same level of a cadet. And then you progress to becoming a deputy um, and you get a little bit more practice. You have a go at chairing some race meetings. And then from there on, you progress to a stipendary steward. So it's sort of um, as, as you gain experience around the industry and all these different scenarios that you might come across, you work your way up through the ranks. So this is going to be a really tricky question for you to answer uh, concisely, Kirsty. Apologies in advance. But for everybody that doesn't really understand, what is the steward's role within the racing industry? I know you said that the, the racing police, but what exactly are the stewards there to do? You know, in within the integrity department at Racing Victoria, what is the main role? Most concise explanation for that is that we're there to uphold the rules of racing. So there's this 250-plus page book full of rules that everyone that's involved in the racing industry is expected to follow um, and we're there to police them. So... Our job can cover a whole range of different things from office work to race day to jump outs and official trials. We go to track work. We do stable inspections and horse audits. We also would hold inquiries relating to, to incidents or occurrences that might happen outside of race day. But it's, sort of, it's a very broad range of, of things that the stewards do. I suppose that one way that we might be able to find out a little bit more about that um, without you having to read out every page of that 250-page <laughs> book that you explained, you sound like a racing lawyer, which is really kind of cool. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what, you know, a regular weekly routine looks like for you. You know, just let's say in the middle of the year, not necessarily during carnival time, what's your weekly schedule? So it does change 
from sort of week to week, given that we race on in all sorts of areas of the state. So we work on a bit of a rotating roster. But say if we have an office day, we would do race meeting preparation, which involves checking the eligibility for horses to race. So that can be both from an integrity standpoint and a handicapping standpoint. So making sure, you know, if it's a Colts and Geldings race, that all of them horses that are entered are Colts and Geldings, but also checking that none of those horses have things like embargoes on them where they need a vet certificate before they're allowed to race again, or whether they were particularly naughty at their last race start and they had to go back and get approved to race again. So we go through all of the fields to make sure that there's nothing outstanding that we need to do. We also check that the weights that horses have been allocated match their handicapping ratings that you spoke about in an earlier episode, Grace. We approve gear changes and we would also look at any rail movements for upcoming race meetings and check that the field limits are correct. So that's from a safety standpoint. We'd check to make sure that, you know, we don't have too many horses on the track when the track's not wide enough for them. So we would do that every day and we'd go through all of the upcoming race meetings. Jump out for every, or official trials are a little bit the same. Every single horse that races in Victoria has to have approval to race before it goes to the ra- its very first race start. So that's given by a steward at a jump out or a barrier trial. So we're looking for things like making sure that the horse loads into the barriers nicely. Um, so that's for safety of the jockeys and the barrier attendants. Once it's in the barriers, it has to stand there nicely um, and that it's not fractious which is a term you might hear a little bit, but that's essentially if a horse is playing up and it's a bit naughty, it might rear or it might kick out. Um, And then when it jumps out of the barriers, we're making sure that it jumps out cleanly and with the rest of the field. So it has to stay in contact with the rest of the field throughout that jump out so that, you know, punters have that confidence that a horse is competitive. So every horse has to go through that uh, to get its barrier certificate or its approval to race. So we might do a set of jump outs a week. We also might do a bit of track work or we'd go and wander around and make sure that everyone that's riding is wearing an approved helmet, uh, wearing vests. They've got to have lights on their helmets, um, just making sure that everyone's following all of the safety requirements. Stable inspections, it's essentially we're going out making sure that every stable is inspected at least once a year. We're doing horse audits while we're there. So we're making sure that the horses that are meant to be in that stable that the trainers declared are there are actually there, that there's no additional ones and there's no one missing. So we're just trying to maintain that visibility of, of the horses' movements around Victoria and potentially interstate. We're also checking that all the facilities are safe, that licensed people are the ones that are working with the horses, um, and we're checking their medication cupboards and their diaries that they're all being completed correctly. So that sort of all falls under the rules of racing that making sure that they're not giving anything they shouldn't be and making sure that it's all within the right time frames. The biggest one is probably race day. And I imagine there's probably a few questions in relation to race day and what the stewards do. But we essentially oversee the running of a race meeting. So we liaise with everyone, including the judge, the race caller, the starters, the paramedics, the vets, the jockeys, racing.com. If we need to, we speak to the Bureau of Meteorology to check any say over the weekend there were issues where races needed to be delayed um so we're checking to see what the weather's looking like in in the following hours and also media outlets if we've got any incidents or anything occurs and so race day we usually get there a couple of hours before the first first race and we'd start with a track inspection so i know you spoke to a track curator earlier in in the uh in another podcast or another episode rather so we're just going and making sure that we're agreeing with what they're their update is for the track and what their rating is. So we'd all go and ha- we'd have a look at the track and make sure that we're happy with that and make any amendments from there if we need to. And then we start to run the race meeting. So we there's a whole range of different things that are involved with running the race meeting as well. I don't know whether you want to ask specific questions in relation to that, Grace, so I don't waffle on too much. Well, what comes to my mind when I think about stewards at race day is sort of the anti-doping procedures and how you monitor for that. Could you take us through what the procedure is to be testing or monitoring horses on race day for, um, yeah, the anti-doping part of of racing to keep it fair and and good for horses' welfare? Absolutely. So we do a range of different testing. So often we might even do, in the lead up to, say, the spring carnival, we do out-of-competition testing. So our compliance team, which are a slightly different member of the stewards panel, 
um, will go out and do out of competition testing at different trainers' properties. And then on race day, that same team would also do race morning inspections. So they'll go out to a collection of stables of horses that are entered to race that day to inspect horses. They're checking their medication diaries for one, but they're also checking to look for any injection sites, any pastes or anything, like anything that's out of the ordinary that might indicate that the horse may have been treated in some way. And then once they get on course, they could potentially be pre-race sampled. So we might do pre-race bloods or pre-race urine samples. So, and they can be for a variety of things. So pre-race blood might be for checking for TCO2 or, or uh, bicarbonate to see whether a horse has been, has, um, been treated. But then there also might be blood samples that are checking for a whole variety of different things. So previously we've had things with, uh, with cobalt or a whole range of different things that horses can be treated with. So we would do a selection of horses pre-race and then we would also do, we do every winner as, as a post-race sample and then we would also potentially, over spring carnival, we do second and third for many of the races. And then if there's any horses that might suddenly be an improved performance, we might get a sample out of. Or if there's any concerns that we have, we might get a sample out of those horses as well. So we could be doing a huge number of um, pre and post race samples at any given race meeting. What I think is fascinating, and I bet most people have no idea that this is a thing and that is that on a race day every single occurrence every single inquiry every single pre or post race blood swab that we've already talked about is all documented and made publicly available in what's called a stewards report and that you can find on the racing victoria website for every single race meeting can you just explain a little bit about what that is and why it's so important to be publicly available so a stewards report is essentially a summary of everything that's occurred at that race meeting that day so Obviously, at the top of the stewards report, you'll have the stewards that were present at that race meeting, what the track rating was, what the weather was like, uh, if there's been any track upgrades or downgrades throughout the day. Um, And then essentially from the top, you'd start with any riding changes and why they've occurred. Um, You'd have any jockeys that might have been injured and require medicals, any that have previously been injured and have given us medicals. Um, and then essentially from there, you would start, you would just go race by race, everything that's occurred. So it's essentially we report on what may have affected a horse's performance um, and caused them to not perform as well as the, they may have been expected to. So it may be things like a horse stumbles out of the barriers. So we would report that as a horse began awkwardly because it didn't start as well as you would expect it to. And that may have affected where it settled in its run. Um, or it may have affected its performance, it may have injured itself, potentially. Um, the, that We'd start from the very beginning of the race and then we would also we'd work our way through, we'd go through and we'd check to make sure the horses, we uh, have settled where we're expecting them to settle. So we've got to do our own form as well as stewards. Um, and we do have actually another team that, uh, it, that are betting analysts that also monitor that as well. So we're checking that the horses are settling where we're expecting them to. And if they're not, we're finding out why they're not there, Uh, whether that's something that it might be the horse uh, began awkwardly and it normally leads, but it couldn't get there because of how it began. So that's something we can report. Uh, Sometimes we might ask the jockey why the horse didn't settle where we were expecting it to. Um, And then we would also be reporting things like that have occurred during the race, like careless riding, uh, if horses stumble, um, if anything occurs in that race that affected any horse's performance, um, it might be something like the horse hangs um, and it's made it hard for the rider to ride the horse out to the, to the winning post. So we'd, we'd report all of that um, to try and concisely summarise what's occurred in that race for the punters so they know what's happened and can maybe do a little bit of a review, like you've said previously, Grace, on what's happened and why, weren't, why didn't, you get, didn't you get the right answer? And as part of that, we you would see, if you've seen a steward's report, we would also have some horses get examined by the vet. So we've got our market. We're looking at horses that we're expecting to run in the placings. If a horse that, you know, it's the favourite and it runs fifth or sixth, is there something wrong with it that stopped it from running to its potential? So we, would get, we might get the vets to have a look at it. 
um, and see if they can find anything wrong with it. At a lot of race minis, they, they also have scopes, so they can do an endoscopic examination as part of their veterinary examination. Um, and that can often give us a really good indication of whether, you know, a horse might pull up lame and that's obviously affected its performance. Um, and we would include there as well, if, if they couldn't find anything wrong with the horse and it was a $2 favourite, sometimes we might also include in the stewards report that we're going to follow up with the stable in the following days to see if anything's come up with that horse. So that's also included in the stewards report. And then again, in those races, we would include whether any jockeys may have been uh, penalised for anything, if there has been a case of careless riding or a whip breach, uh, for instance, that would also be recorded in each of those races. So there's so much to monitor in every race. <laughs> it, there's so much to cover. And I guess it's like, again, all those things of the rules of racing. It's keeping racing safe for horses and jockeys. It's making sure the sport is fair and that the punters have a fair playing field, but also, of course, making sure that the horses are running and if something is looking amiss, that that's followed up for their own welfare and to make sure that these horses are receiving the best care possible, you know, not just leaving it up to, to the stable to make sure that these horses are in the best condition, but having an independent group assessing them and saying, no, some, this needs to be followed up. I think that's really fantastic. And it's such an important part of, of keeping racing, you know, positive and, and clean, I guess, you know, um, and the transparency that you guys provide with publishing all this publicly is fantastic as well. And I, I think a lot of people don't realise that in racing, there's actually a vet that follows the field. So in every race, there is a vet that's at the most probably 30 seconds behind that race. If there is any kind of incident, they're right there. And we we also expect jockeys, if if we don't pick up on something in a race as a steward or the vets don't see something, jockeys, the expectation is if they think something is wrong with the horse that may have affected its performance, they required to let the stewards know. Mm. And we would then also get the vets to have a look at it. It might not have on face value looked as though there was something wrong with it but the jockeys are riding the horse they can feel if something is amiss um, and they'll often they might come back and say it didn't feel right in its action mm -hmm. and we'll go and get the vets to have a look um, and they have incredible care we have some amazing vets that work at the races and they do such a fantastic job and these horses are so well cared for I'm always amazed at the job that they do. Obviously, jockeys um, do get suspended and you've mentioned careless riding or, um, you know, whip breaches, that sort of thing. I mean, that's a huge part of what happens in a steward's room. And I suppose a lot of people may not realise that a jockey can ride in a way in which the stewards may deem to be careless under the rules of racing. And then that means that they sit out on the sidelines for a period for which the stewards determine. So jockeys can get suspended just like AFL players can get suspended for a match in that similar way. Isn't that right? Yes, that's correct. So the way I find easiest to describe careless riding, because you, you hear people speak of it a lot, is... If you think of you're driving on a freeway and there's four or five lanes on the freeway, you can't change lanes without giving the people in the other lanes enough room to break or enough room to, for you to get into that space. So it's essentially the same with, with race riding. Jockeys have to give horses around them two lengths. So essentially the length of two horses when they're shifting ground, so say from the rail to one off the rail, as Grace was described in an earlier episode. So in those positions, they have to make sure that, that all the horses around them are safe. You're not going to change lanes if there's a car directly beside you because you're going to cause an accident. And it's essentially the same in a race. And it all falls under the one rule and it can be sort of considered careless riding, reckless riding, incompetent riding or foul riding. And it's all based on what the intent is by the jockey. And I suppose sometimes as you get into these bigger races, you'd probably do come across more incidents because jockeys might be inclined to take smaller gaps to get a run because it's a group one race. And so we'd have a good look We've got at, at what the incident is. We would get the jockeys in that are involved in the incident. We get all of their evidence. We have stewards based all the way around the racetrack at all the different stewards' towers. So we may sometimes get a steward to give evidence of what they saw live when the incident occurred 
And then we've also got multiple angles of footage of the race, which we would view multiple times, would give the jockeys the opportunity to view that and then give their evidence after they've viewed the film and come to a decision based on what kind of incident we think it is. So there's there's a whole range of different things that we'd look at in terms of these incidents, whether we think it, it's a really low range of carelessness, it might be mid-range, it might be high range, it might be carelessness that's caused a horse or a jockey to fall. So there's all these different things that we have to take into account when we're running an inquiry. Whip breaches are a little bit different. Whip breaches have become a little bit more streamlined over the last probably two years or so. We have a template which essentially all the jockeys have a copy of and they know how many times they can use the whip prior to the 100 metres and then how many times they're allowed to use it from the 100 metres to the winning post. And then there's also a limit in totality that they can use it. And so it essentially tells them you've hit it this many times, the horse this many times before the 100 and this many times after the 100. This equates to this kind of penalty. Mm. Um, so that's really streamlined that for us um, because that's really whip use is really in the limelight these days. And we spend a lot of time monitoring the whip use. So, Kirsty, we have received a few listener questions uh, from our audience today for you. Uh, one that we thought we'd ask you was from Jake, and he asks, what is the easiest part of your job and what is the most challenging part of your job? Uh, the easiest part is probably, I think, over spring carnival is my favourite time of year and I love getting out to the races. Um and just being present at the races and being involved in making everything run and just enjoying the atmosphere that's there because you don't get it all year round um, and it's just so easy to be there and easy to enjoy the, the fruits of your labour. The hardest part, I might get a slap on the wrist for this, is I'm not a morning person. So, <laughs> oh dear. so the early mornings getting out to jump outs and track work is probably what I find really hard um you're not alone yeah it's uh it's probably part of the reason why I probably didn't get into riding track work as when I was younger um or get into into racing when I was younger was that probably the early start so you mentioned the spring carnival, and a big part of that um, is the international horses that come uh, from overseas to race in some of our feature races, you know, over the spring. And what that means, I know particularly from your role, Kirsty, but also just for the whole integrity department, is that the Werribee Quarantine Centre opens up and you've got to do heaps of work out there monitoring the internationals, making sure that they are all also um, abiding by the rules of racing are you looking forward to that starting like literally in the next couple of days it is my absolute favorite time of year um, the first loads of plane load of horses arrived tonight normally I would be out there on arrival night uh, and inspecting all of the gear that arrives with all of the horses um, but this plane load is primarily Australian horses um, that also what we would call one-way tickets. So they're horses that are coming from Europe to stay with Australian trainers. So everything that's going to be used for those horses is going to be brought from Victorian stables. Um, so that makes my job a little bit easier. So I'll be out there first thing tomorrow morning. It's a really different and interesting aspect of racing. Um, I love getting down there. There's a whole range of different people there. We've, I've had, you know, there's been... Uh, Japanese horses, German horses, French horses, Irish horses, English horses, all coming into these same compounds and dealing with all of the different the trainers, the track work riders. We've had some apprentice jockeys that have been down there, making sure they're all aware of what they can and can't do whilst they're here in, in Australia and seeing some incredible horses. I do love getting down there and just seeing there's some absolutely beautiful horses that come across and going out there and sort of seeing the work that they're doing in the mornings, going and watching some of their track work. It's nice. They start a little bit later at Werribee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's a really interesting part of racing to see and part of the Spring Carnival to see. So they have, they have vet teams out there. All of these horses have their own local vets that come out regularly. Um, and then they also get, uh, they have trot-ups at least twice a week in the lead-up to their races. So it's really interesting watching and standing, I'll stand with the vets and make sure that they're happy with all of these horses and how they're trotting up. And 
looking at the differences in horses if they've had any concerns and looking at the improvements and how much work goes into assessing these horses to make sure that, that they're at peak fitness and peak health to be able to race. And there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes by the biosecurity teams at Racing Victoria to get the whole facility recognised by the Victorian government. There's all these, these criteria they have to fulfil to actually be allowed to have our own quarantine facility. So they do a huge amount of work in the lead up to the carnival and in the last couple of weeks. And then even just maintaining biosecurity with everyone having to, you know, everything that goes into that facility isn't allowed to come out until the end of that quarantine period, which can be a big learning curve for some people that, you know, the only thing that's allowed to come out is yourself and your phone um, and your glasses. And that's essentially, that's it. And so it's really interesting to see all of the intricate details of what happens down there and and how, all the things that people will do to make sure that these horses can come here safely and race safely and contribute to the, the Melbourne Cup and the Caulfield Cup and the Cox Plate and some of our really big races. And they're in those big races because they're world-class horses. Like they are, um, you know, the best of the best that are travelling from Europe or the UK, even Japan, um, have come out here and won feature races over, you know, the past decade, 15 years. So it must be such a thrill to go down there every morning. I just want to talk about one extra thing which you've mentioned, and it is the vet checks and the term that you use trot ups is a really important one because over the next couple of months for the spring carnival we're going to hear a lot about trot ups because for feature races every horse needs to have been inspected with a trot up and other measures um, from the vets and if they don't pass they actually aren't allowed to race why is it so important for the vets to be so particular and to cover off every single aspect um, I think it's it's really important because horses can't tell us if they're injured. They can't speak. They can't communicate it to us. So we have to really carefully monitor for, for changes in things like their gait to see if there is some sort of issue with the horse. Um, obviously, vets are specialists in that area. Um, and many of these horses, they'll trot up and they'll see them trot time and time again. They'll, they'll film them. They'll go back and they'll they'll re-watch those films to make sure, to see if there's any differences in gait, if there's improvements, if there's changes. Um, if they've got concerns, they'll often get a second, third, fourth opinion to make sure that they're all on the same page um, because trotting up can be sort of one of the first uh, ports of call to see whether there might be an issue. So all of these horses that are going to the Melbourne Cup also will go to the standing CT machine at Werribee. And we're just trying to improve our ability to assess to any issues that might be occurring that haven't yet sort of shown their face. It might be the, it's the same for someone, you know, if you're running, you might not know that you've got an injury, but there could be the beginnings of an injury. And this is just giving us that ability so that we can try to prevent anything from happening that we don't want to happen. So, Kirsty, my favourite embargo is the non-competitive embargo. <laughs> And I like it because I feel like if a horse doesn't want to be a racehorse, they don't have to be. Do you know what I mean? So if they're yeah. just not competitive, they're like, I don't really want to run fast and try and win races. It's just not for me. They sort of can declare it in a race and then they receive an embargo. And if their attitude doesn't change, they can't race. Is that correct? Yes, essentially. So uncompetitive can sort of cover a range of things. So the main one would be if a horse is trailing the field, they're finishing lengths and lengths off horse, off the rest of the field at the, at the post, they would be sort of listed as uncompetitive. And they're given the option of an embargo to go back to a jump out or a trial to have another go. And often, you know, jump outs are over 600 metres. So it might be a little bit easier for a horse to sort of maintain that competitiveness in a trial or a jump out um, they come back to the races they do it again we monitor their record and so we we would look at that if there's that that's an ongoing problem it might be something like we'd put an embargo on them to say you obviously not that interested in racing mm -hmm. maybe you should go to the picnic circuit mm -hmm. or non-tab races so we might put embargoes like that on them like we, it's very rare for us 
to essentially say you're not allowed to be a racehorse anymore. Yeah. Um, there is one that comes to mind and it wasn't so much uncompetitiveness. Was it because um, you leave the barriers? It was. <laughs> um, I remember. Of, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> actually, if I can come back to one of the hardest things about being a steward yeah. was after that first time he got barred, um, or he was a late scratchy that night. Yeah. I was at the jump outs the next time when he went for reinstatement and that was the hardest part was I want him to be able to race. Yeah. And all, I just I stood there going, please jump, please jump, please jump. Yeah. <laughs> um and, and we're talking just, about Chautauqua, of course, the great yeah, should, multiple group one winner, three-time TJ Smith stakes winning sprinter. And yeah, at the end of his racing career, he just decided that he didn't want to run anymore and he wouldn't leave the barriers. And and you can you can look at his some of those the footage of those races or those trials and you can see he's standing there. His ears are pricked. He knows what he he knows that he's doing. He's not under duress. He was not being forced to do anything. He just went, no thanks. Not for me. <laughs> And so you do get some really quirky horses. I absolutely yeah. love Chautauqua, but that's probably a hard one. Is that it's you know you don't you don't want to fail fail Chautauqua, but you also you have to fulfil those rules. So if he's not jumping, we can't allow him to continue to race. I think it's just beautiful that really the horses make the decision, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. And, of course, it's disappointing for us who love to see horses like Chautauqua, you know, perform at, at great heights. But if they don't want to do it, that's that's their choice. And I think there's, you know, to the, to the general public, there's probably some sort of thinking that horses are unhappy about racing or they don't want to do it, but we make them do it. And that's, you know, with uncompetitive embargo, we can see, that's not the case. And especially with a story like Chautauqua, we can see that's not the case. The horses make the decision at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a, a misconception that you horses don't want to race. I think if you if you watch them going out, you know, you see them out in a paddock, out racing mm-hmm. each other and running around. And I think people that aren't as involved in the industry might not necessarily understand it as much. You can't make a 500-kilo animal do something that it doesn't want to do. Well, that has been an incredible interview, Kirsty. Thank you so much for being our special guest and explaining to us what your role as a steward within the integrity team at Racing Victoria is. And you are unbelievably knowledgeable. We are so privileged that you have spent time with us on Ladies Who Punt to decode this fascinating topic of horse racing. You're absolutely welcome. I hope I covered at least a small part of what we do. Um, There was one thing in particular that I remember you said in the very first episode, Grace, was that you won't bet on anything that's less than $2. Yes. Because there's a lot of variables in racing. Oh, my God. And essentially our job is to try to, I guess, decode some of those variables. Decrease Um, the variable so that we have more confidence. I love it. But thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Grace, that was a fantastic interview with Kirsty Vanderzeel, shedding so much light on what is involved in being a steward and also how people become stewards going into the cadetship and then training their way up, getting experience within the industry. Yeah, it was fantastic to hear from Kirsty, uh, an amazing special guest, and I hope everybody's got some, you know, 
extra insight into what an important part of the industry that stewards do play in making sure that everything is running on a fair playing field. And also, just a little bit of trivia, there are only, as far as I know, two groups of people in the whole world and within the industry that are not allowed to bet on races. They are jockeys and also people who work within the integrity team at Racing Victoria. And Kirsty was also saying that she can't even have a share in a racehorse because, of course, of integrity reasons. So that's just one slight downfall on what sounds <laughs> like an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, that is a little bit of a uh, negative, but, yeah, our stewards do such an amazing job. They probably don't get enough credit for how much work they have to do to keep the industry ticking over. So thank you so much to Kirsty and all of her teammates for what they're doing, especially over the spring carnival, such a busy time of year. But now let's get into our preview of the Moya Stakes. Well, this week's episode, we're only going to be previewing one race, the Moya Stakes, which is on Friday night at the Valley Group 1 the ladies who punt team will be in attendance trackside, which is very exciting. And for our race day meetup, we are going to be bringing back our tipping competition. So Woo-hoo! yeah, the way our tipping competition works is that you don't have to pick four winners. We do the quaddy legs. So for Friday, that's races five, six, seven, and eight. You don't have to pick the winners. We sort of describe it as uh, punting golf, don't we, Grace? So Yes. You pick the horse that you think is going to win each race, and then you are allocated points on their finishing position. So even if you're not picking the winner of every race, but you're picking in the top five of every race, you're going to have a really low score at the end of the competition, and you've got a good chance of winning. So it's all about having a go, coming up with an opinion, and putting it down on paper and seeing how you measure up at the end of the race night. Yeah, so four points, meaning that you've been allocated one point if your horse wins the four legs. That is going to win the competition. Like, that's as low as you can get. So that's the aim of the game. And also shout out to Erin, who won our tipping competition at our first Ladies Who Punt meetup at the races, and that was super exciting. She did a great job, and I'm sure she'll be there. I know that she'll be there to defend her title on Friday night as well. Yep, and there's a $100 Maya voucher up for grabs for those who are trackside. But if you aren't attending on Friday night and still want to have a go at our tipping cob, all you have to do is comment your selections on the photo we put up on our social media posts. I'll check every platform to make sure I get everyone's selections. Um, And yeah, we'll have a little online comp too. And if you would like us to make this a regular feature on our social media for us all to have a go and, and see who we like, just let us know. We've, we've been thinking about it for a while, so it'd be great to get your feedback on that one. So to make sure that you all do your own homework and have a go, we won't be previewing all of the four races. We're only going to be doing the group one today, the Moya Stakes, over a thousand metres, a wait for age. Okay, Grace. So let's start with the most important horse in the field this Friday. Uh, it's number five, Malkovich. Most important because one <laughs> of our great LWP supporters, Carly Alice and her family, have a share in this horse. And they are actually traveling interstate to watch him at the Valley this Friday. So really excited to meet Carly at our race day meetup. And Grace, what can you tell us about Malkovich and his chances on Friday night? Well, so exciting firstly to have a share in a horse in a group one like that's literally the dream to have a runner on a big race night on this occasion and to have a live chance in such an iconic feature race is so exciting so good luck to Carly and everyone involved with Malkovich in terms of how I think that Malkovich will perform well there's a few things in this horse's favor so um, he's trained by Bjorn Baker up in Sydney so he's coming making the trip down to the valley for the thousand meter Moya State and the reason they've identified this race as a great target for him is because he absolutely loves the 1,000-metre distance. When I take a look at a few horses in this race, for example, one of them being Generation, he's a really good horse. But the one sort of question mark that I have is he seems to me to be a really good 1,200-metre horse. And dropping back to a 1,000, it doesn't seem like that much, but there's just something about a thousand meters for thousand meter 
horses. Like if you're winning and constantly running well over a thousand meters, it's just that's the area, that's the zone that they're in, that's what they love. And Malkovich is absolutely a thousand meter horse. He's had nine attempts over the thousand meters, and he's won four of those races. So that's seven. So that's from nine starts. On seven occasions, he's either won or finished second, which is actually absurd. He is definitely in the mix when it comes to um, the fact that this is his right distance. This race will be suiting him. The only thing that's probably against him is looking at my speed map. He likes to leave. He's always up right there on speed. Barrier three is great. Rachel King, a Sydney jockey, she's coming down to ride him, knows him extremely well. That's a tick. But there's plenty of other horses that will be right there on speed, eyeballing Malkovich, the likes of Rothfire potentially. Zoo style, definitely. Cool and Gatta will probably hold the lead potentially from barrier one. Paul Laley might cross from barrier six. There's going to be lots of speed. It's They're not going to be going slowly. Plenty of intent for the jockeys to be winning this group one race. So that would probably be my question mark for Malkovich, whether he can sustain that really strong gallop in terms of, you know, who's got the most class at the end. But he's definitely right in the mix because 1,000 metres is his favourite distance. That's a great summary, Grace, of Malkovich's chances this Friday night at the Valley. Good luck to Carly and her family and all of Malkovich's connections. But now let's take a look at the market. And we have... A $4.20 favourite and number two, Paul Laley. He opened up at $5. He didn't open as the favourite. He opened up at $5 and has uh, tightened up to $4.20 in the first few mm-hmm. hours of betting. Our second favourite, not far behind, is number three, Rothfire at $4.60. And then our third favourite is at $7, number four, Zoo Style. So it's $4 the field, Grace. This is quite an open competition. Who do you like in the field? I'm pretty keen on one here, Fee, to be honest. And you've just gone through the market, and I actually think this horse might be a little bit over the odds. The horse that I really like in this race is the second favourite in Rothfire. So Rothfire is a really interesting horse because, of course, we saw him win first up at the Valley over a 1,000 metres. That was three weeks ago in the McEwen Stakes at Group 2 level. So that was a last start win at this track and trip. But the great thing about Rothfire is that he's a horse that when he was in his three-year-old year, going back quite a few preparations ago, he was like the next best thing in terms of sprinting types. He was super exciting. He was doing everything right. And he actually um, injured himself and was on the sidelines doing rehabilitation for a long time. He's then come back. And he had a couple of okay preparations, narrowly defeated last campaign in the Kingsford Smith Stakes, which is a handicap over 1,300 metres. But what I like most about this horse is the fact that he's come back and he's won first up. And it indicates to me and lots of other people that he's back to his best. His win last start in what is the main lead up, the McEwen Stakes, where quite a few other horses come out of that race as well, like Cool and Gatta and Zoo Style and the Inferno. They were all around him. But I suppose a lot of people didn't necessarily think that Rothfire was going to do that. And when he did it, it just fills you with so much confidence that he's back to his best, if not potentially even better than he's ever been. So I just think that, um, you know, at $4.60, he beat a lot of his competition last start. And some of those others, like Paul Laley, well, he is first up, and this is his biggest test first up that he's ever had to face before. He's unbeaten when first up, so that's a big tick from that perspective. But I just think that Rothfire's got the performances on the board in the past, and his first up win was huge at the track and trip. He's been set for this race. I just think that he's clearly the one to beat Fee. Yeah, I agree. I am also with Rothfire. Um, His last win was really impressive. He ran the second fastest last 200 of the meeting. I think he was 0.09 of a second behind Mr. Brightside. So his times were very good as well, which to me says that there's definitely more for him to give. And Mm -hmm. I think over what you were saying about Malkovich also sort of applies to Rothfire. He's he's pretty effective over a thousand meters, whereas, you know, as you were saying, there are some other horses here who prefer more of a 1200 meter trip. So that's also what I really liked about Rothfire. And barrier five is great for him. He can just settle sort of midfield behind the speed. 
Damien Lane rode him last start and he will know exactly, um, you know, what he's like and what to expect in the race. I just think he everything sort of sets up so well for him here. I can poke holes in some of the other horses, um, whether they are good enough or whether the race sets up well enough for them, but you just can't really knock Rothfire at all. And at $4.60 is a very backable price. I would be yeah. having a win bet on Rothfire, no doubt. So, Grace, it sounds like both of us are going to be putting number three, Rothfire, as our pick for the tipping competition on Friday night. Uh, Yes. It'll be very exciting to see who everybody else thinks is going to be the winner and who will be taking out that leg of the tipping competition. Well, that's it for another episode, guys. We hope you have enjoyed the interview with Kirsty on stewarding and hopefully the topic of stewarding has been decoded for you by that fantastic interview. Hopefully we will be seeing you at our race day meetup this Friday night at Mooney Valley. We are looking forward to catching up with everyone, meeting some new people and of course having our tipping comp and just watching some fabulous racing. So we'll be based mainly on the deck at Mooney Valley and if you haven't been before, it's just the best place um, to watch the races, especially on a Friday night. The atmosphere is amazing. So that's where we'll be based for most of the night and you'll see us because there'll be a sea of pink hats. But we'll also be keeping you updated if we do go to another location via our social media accounts next week we have a really interesting episode for you all we will be taking a look at the sports science in training racehorses so we have a special guest who spends her time accumulating and assessing track work data and she will be able to give us a bit of insight into how sports science is really coming to the forefront of training in Australia. We will also, of course, be previewing the Turnbull Stakes. Yeah, can't wait for that fee. Can't wait to catch up with everyone on Friday night. And we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Ladies Who Punt. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.